Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. And oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd be stricken with idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura if I didn't know why you bled me with the idea that you missed this week's show. 12 new donor questions and train like a champ. It's been so long since Andy Robinson was a guest, we need to cover two topics together. First, a dozen potential questions to ask your donor who just said yes to a gift. Then his advice to up your game as a trainer and facilitator. On Tony's Take Two, podcast pleasantries. We're sponsored by Turn Two Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission, turn-2.co. And by Send in Blue, the only all-in-one digital marketing platform empowering nonprofits to grow. Tony.ma slash Send in Blue. It's my pleasure to welcome back Andy Robinson to Nonprofit Radio. He provides training and consulting for nonprofits, businesses, and government agencies. Over the past 25 years, he's worked with clients in 47 states and Canada. He's the author of six books, including Train Your Board and Everyone Else to Raise Money at trainyourboard.com. His latest book is What Every Board Member Needs to Know, Do, and Avoid. Andy is at andyrobinsononline.com. Welcome back, Andy. Tony, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me today. Absolute pleasure. Uh, I just want to make sure that listeners understand you were on the show just a couple months ago, May, uh, talking about uh, boards and financial, uh, financial analysis and data, but that was a replay from 2012. Right, and with in- my colleague, Nancy Wasserman, and she and I did a different book together about that topic. Exactly. Uh, and so it's been since 2012 that you were on the show. So it's time to catch up and do, uh, do these two topics together. I missed you, Tony. Oh, you're terrific. Thank you. Up in Vermont. See, see what a, what a humane group of people we have up <laughs> living in Vermont. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Um, anyway, I'm pleased to be back. It's an honor to, to talk with you. It's an honor to be with your listeners. And thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Um, does it annoy Vermonters that everybody who doesn't live in New Hampshire, Vermont, or Maine confuses New Hampshire and Vermont? Um, a few people get annoyed by that. Um, the cultures of the two states are somewhat different, and the politics of the two states are somewhat different, um, but they have a lot in common. And certainly there are many people who commute back and forth and have friends on both sides of the Connecticut River, and so I wouldn't sweat it. You are not. Oh, is that is it the Connecticut River that divides the two? Yes, states? it is. Is it? Yes, it is the Connecticut right, so River. Ge- so you pick up geography on nonprofit. <laughs> All right. So you are not among the Vermonters that is upset by the. I am not, and I've been here about twenty years. So this is my adopted home, um, much as you, you know, are living in an adopted home. So am I. So I can't even claim the title Vermonter. Um, I would like to, but the locals are a little. You know, a Vermonter is someone who's been here for multiple generations. I'm a visitor. Oh, it's got to be generation. All right, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. It's a generational thing, but it's all it's all good, and I I love living here, and I'm grateful every day to be here. Wonderful. All right. So, thank you for uh, for uh, letting those of us who make that mistake uh, off the hook. No worries. It's the same as the uh, Kentucky Tennessee dilemma. All right. Twelve questions. So we're starting off with uh, twelve questions that you might uh, potentially ask a new donor, someone who yeah. has just said just said yes to a gift. And your first one is, how would you like to make your payments? Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's, it can be awkward because it's, we're having this deep conversation about why do you care about this work and how do you want to participate and what would feel significant to you. And, and then we have to, at some point, get to the logistical question of, are you writing me a check? Am I sending you an invoice? Are we doing the credit card? Are you making uh, installment payments to fulfill this gift? And so, yeah, I think that has to be one of the questions is um, how would you like to make payment? And a classic solution to this is to bring a pledge form with you. Um, Mm -hmm. So when the donor says, yes, you pull out the form and it includes things like, how do I spell your name? 
And how do you prefer to be contacted with me? Um, uh, do you like email? Do you like a personal phone call? Should I come and meet with you once or twice yeah. a year? Like, how do you want to engage with us? And then also there's the payment question. Like, are you writing a check? Am I sending you an invoice? Are we doing installments? All those sorts of things. Yeah. And, you know, I will do a little shout out to my colleague, Harvey McKinnon, who I suspect has been on your show at some point. And, and Harvey is an international consultant. He and I did an article about this together that I think first appeared in the Grassroots Fundraising Journal once upon a time. So he's, he's the co-author of this content. Um, but I bring it up because he's like the international guru of monthly giving. Mm. And he will never let a moment pass without saying, you know, would you consider making this a monthly payment model? Um, so for folks who don't know, this is the sustainer program model where people make automatic monthly payments on their credit card or directly from their bank. Um, so that could be one of the questions. Are you a monthly donor? Um, if not, would you like to be? Is that a way to fulfill this commitment? So yeah, how, how do you want to pay is one of those questions for yeah. sure. Well, right. Because we don't want to, we don't want to be so excited by the, by the yes, that we, we shake hands, we hug, and then we rush out the door you know, thinking if I stay longer, they might change their minds. Right. And then we don't get to the details of, you know, right. What, what, what can we expect? I mean, you got to, this is, this is a business here. And you let's gotta, acknowledge. You, from a, you just got a commitment for someone to invest in your business. Yes. How's that investment going to come through? Yeah. So we have to be, to use the wrong word here, we have to be shameless about that. And at least, you know, yeah. we have to be forthright and say, okay, this is awesome. You have just made my day. Thank you for saying yes. I am so appreciative. How do we do this? How do we transfer the money? I mean, maybe it's stock option, right? You know, I mean, there's a lot of ways that people can make payment. So, yes, thank you for naming that, Tony. That is one of the 12 questions for sure. Oh, of course. Well, we're going to we're going to tick them off. Yeah. Do you, uh, have, do you have them in front of you? I have a list. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Feed them to me. Uh, look at this. The guy who wrote the article with Harvey. Mc By the way, Harvey McKinnon has not been on the show. If you're recommending him. I will hook you up with Harvey because okay. he's a very good storyteller and okay. is thoughtful and entertaining and very smart. So the guy who co-authors your article, you don't have it in front of you? Um, I, you know, I, I should have it in front of I me. But I thought you now you could... and make you tick off as many as you can and see. see what... uh, why don't I do that? Why don't I try and rem... yeah. <laughs> why don't I try and remember them? And then you can feed me the ones I've forgotten. All right. Well, perfect. I already gave you one. So yes, that, you, you're not, you don't get credit for that one. Yeah. Well, you know what happened? And this is full disclosure. And you're probably your audience doesn't need to know this. But I pulled up the wrong slide deck this morning as my cue. And oh, I, thought, I, oh I thought we were talking about succession planning. Oh, we're talking <laughs> about the 12 questions. Oh, well, let's see well, if I can improvise I, I this. I thought the host of this show was lackluster. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, it's, I'm... it's rare that we have a guest who's less prepared than the host. <laughs> All right, you and I, I will. So we do, will wing this together. The, I'm putting you on the spot. All right, okay. I've given you one, so you're not you getting have credit given for me one. one. So you won't get them in any particular order, no, but I'll do this from memory, and that's fine. I'll give you that. Um, I'll give you that. One of my favorite questions is: Will you give us a testimonial about okay, why you give? That counts. I'm checking that one off. All right, so Thank let's you. talk about that one. Well, we're not. We're, we're going to see how many you can remember through the through the discussion. You I think that's fair. Why Why I like that one is two things. First of all, and you know, Tony, you know this. You're an, you're a longtime fundraiser. The most powerful fundraising is peer to peer, right? It's one donor talking to another donor, and this is a way that you can get one donor to literally talk to another. This is why I made a commitment, and. You know, can I put it on the website? Can I put it in our printed materials? Is something I could share on social media? Like, how can I use that? Yeah. Um, okay. A related question is: Tell me more about why you made it. You chose yes. Like, tell me a little more about. You know, you just made a big decision. I'm I'm moved. I'm been pleased. Say more about this commitment. Why is this meaningful to you? What is and, it about? And, what is it about our work? That, that inspires you. Right. And, you know, that yeah, some yeah. of these may be subsumed in your ongoing conversation about the gift. I mean, you know, so as you're talking. I think to, that's fair. As you're talking yes. to folks about, about making a gift, you know, it's not, it's, it's very rarely in my experience, a one shot, you know, you ask and then they say yes or no. Right. It's, I'll think about it. There are these conversations. So you might very well, first of all, you might already have known what they love from their previous giving. Yeah, but yeah. through your conversations about this particular gift, you might find that out if you didn't already know. 
So you might not have to ask afterwards, right? It may, it may already right. be known. I think a good discovery conversation with donors leading up to the ask is going to reveal at least some of these yeah. questions yeah. and answers. I think that's fair. And not everybody is that thorough or thoughtful in their cultivation and their discovery with donors. And so if you don't have a clear answer to that question, you want to know that. It's time for a break. Turn to communications. The Chronicle of Philanthropy, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Stanford Social Innovation Review, The Washington Post, The Hill, Cranes, Nonprofit Quarterly, Forbes, Market Watch. That's where Turn 2 clients have gotten exposure. You want exposure in outlets like those? Turn 2 has the relationships to make it happen for you. Turn-2.co. Your story is their mission. Now, let's go back to 12 new donor questions and train like a champ. This also relates to one I already mentioned, which is what are your communications preferences? Like, how should I stay in touch with you? Should I send you email? Should I send you a newsletter? Do you like the occasional phone call? Should I take you to lunch? Um, how often? Yes. And, you know, a related one, this is a little awkward, and I would save this for the end, but I'm bringing it up now, is what's your giving calendar? Like, how often may I ask you? And the assumption we have with major donors, and I'm putting air quotes here for folks who are listening, the assumption we have is that they are once a year donors, you know, typically at the end of the year, and we do the cultivation, and we try and close the gift at the end of the year. And I just want to say that everybody's different. And, you know, here's an old quote, which is, if you know one donor, you know one donor. And there's this strong tendency to sort of extrapolate to everybody. All donors behave like this. And it's not true. Yeah, no, you, right, right. So the way I might frame this is I might say to somebody, what's your giving calendar? Are you typically a once a year kind of person? Or if I have a special need or an emergency, can I come to you additionally? How does that work for you? How do you think about your giving in that way? Okay. Um, Another question, especially if you're dealing with older donors, um, for those of you who can't see us, Tony and I both have a lot of gray on this call today. Yeah, Yeah, it's all right. It's no no shame in that. (laughs) Anyway, if you're you're dealing with older donors, one of the questions I would ask is, um, does your family know about this? And the next time that I come back to talk with you, can we have some of your kids or heirs or family members in the room so we could all discuss together why this work is meaningful to you? Mm. Because I don't want just one donor. I want generations of donors, right? And if dad is in for mom is in front of the kids saying, this is important to me, here's why. And we're trying to add to our donor list and also continue this, this donation after that donor has passed on then it's good for the family members to know why this is a priority for the person who's making the gift. Interesting. That's an interesting one. So you're sort of leading into a, a planned giving discussion. We are. Um, and uh, interesting. Yeah. Trying to get the, uh, the parents to engage the, their next generation, their kids. Sh- share their philanthropic priorities with their children. You know, and, and if you have, if somebody has a family foundation and the kids are on the board, I mean, this is already happening, but yeah, most yeah, donors uh, don't. Right. 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 Um, right. So I, I, yeah, that, I mean, that's one that sort of surprises people because a lot of people don't think of that one. Hmm. Right. It's like, huh, who else? Um, Another one, by the way, you're at five out of 11 so far. I'm I'm rocking and rolling here. Um, You're you're at a straight F so far, but but there's still time. There's still time. Dr. Tony, cut me some slack here. It's uh, early in the, the author, semester. You're the co-author of this thing. I'm gonna, okay. If I get Harvey McKinnon on the show and you can't name more than five or six of these. I'm, I'm just getting warmed up. Call you out to when, I, when, I, when I have him on. Okay. So Good. here we go. Um, another one is, will you come to our board and you talk to our it. board about why you give? And, yeah. you know, yeah. we're going to talk about board training in a few minutes. That's, you know, our second topic this morning. But... Um, I do a lot of work helping board members embrace fundraising. It is like the number one piece of my work for years and years and years. And part of the barrier is people have this idea that donors are a different species or they come from a different planet. And like, I don't know any donors. I don't know anyone who gives money, all this, all this stuff, right? We've all heard it. Any of us who are consultants who work with boards have heard these tropes all the time. 
And I think it's sort of fun to pull together a donor panel of three or four of your most loyal donors, and they don't have to be the wealthiest donors. I mean, maybe it's, you know, the classic little old lady who's been giving $50 a year for 20 years. And you invite three or four of them to a board meeting. And you say the first 20 minutes of the board meeting, we're just going to do Q&A and we're going to hear from some people who love us and give us money and have them talk about why they support our work. Yeah, I love that. And this is transformational for board members because they realize they love us, right? We do good work. People care. They want to be part of this, right? Mm-hmm. So will you come and share with our board why you give and why this is meaningful to you? Um. I can see how that's enormously uh, eye-opening for for board members who who get mired in the financials. You know, as we talked about when you wrote your book, the the, yep. the board yep. boards understanding the basics of financial, but they get mired in the financials and the and the employment practices and the non-disclosure and uh, and conflict oh, yeah. of interest policy, oh, yeah. and yeah. and they forget that we're you know this this wide MCA does great work in the community. You know, we're we're more than just a pool and a fitness center, right. you know, and, and let's and hear, and we hear and from we're that, more than just a spreadsheet from, and a yeah, board meeting. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, here's a shout out to someone you may have had on, on, in the last 550 radio sessions is Kay Sprinkle Grace. <laughs> um, and Kay's another well-known great consultant. Wait, and who, say, Kay again. Sprinkle Grace, who's in San Francisco. Yes. Kay Grace. Yeah. Um, you know, and Kay has said, and I, I don't know if she was the first, but she said every board meeting needs to include what she calls a mission moment, mm. which is when board members are connecting with their hearts and why they're in the game and why they care about the work, as opposed to the spreadsheets and the policies and the agendas. And, you know, this is a classic mission moment is if you have donors sitting with you saying, this is why I care about your work and this is why it connects with me emotionally, yeah. then the board members are connecting emotionally with the work. Um. So I would put that on my list of 12. It is already there. So yeah. Another one. I you're like not expanding you, the list. You're not going to. You're good. You're, you're, you don't, you're wanna, right. don't, you, don't hurt your own cause. You don't want to increase the denominator. You want to. You, you, so, you can take the New Yorker out of New York, but you can't take <laughs> New York out of the New Yorker. You can't take New York out of Tony. No, go ahead. No. I, I'm keeping track. It's good. And um, I'm not the, trying to distract. I don't want you to think that I'm just trying to distract <laughs> you from the purpose of all. Here's by, the next uh, one. By, by amplifying some of these. Here, here's the classic one that we don't do enough because we don't have the courage, which is will you introduce us to other potential donors, right? Is mm-hmm. there anybody else that you know that might care about this work? And, you know, again, that's, I don't think that's the first question out of your mouth, but if you have someone who's enthusiastic and they're like, I love this group, it's like, who do you know? Um, how can you help us? And, you know, will you make an introduction? Would you consider hosting a house party, right? Um, if we have an event, would you come and speak at the event? Like finding ways to involve them. Um, another question, and this is probably towards the end of the list, is you're so committed, you're so passionate. Would you help us raise money? Are you a potential volunteer in our fundraising pool? Um, and let's talk about the volunteer tasks that are available. And could you be one of those people? Yeah, I like I like that one a lot. Yeah, and again, it's not going to be everybody. Some folks are like, no. I mean, I'll give you money. I don't want to. I don't want to participate in that way. But other people are like, sure. What do you need? Could you help us? Help could us, you help us? Help us and do what you've just done. Exactly. Yeah, you're at eight um, out of eleven, by the way. Thank you. I, I think th- were there eleven or were there twelve? Well, there were twelve, but you're not getting credit for the first one because I gave it to you. Fair enough. Um, you know, a, a new question that's not on the list, but Harvey has thought about is um, how has COVID changed your thinking about giving? Okay. And I don't know if that's an after or before question, um, but you know, where he was going with it is, is it going to be harder to get donor meetings? And how are people feeling about having face-to-face conversations? Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes we're doing these on Zoom now, which I'm fine with. Sometimes we're meeting with donors. Um, sometimes we're doing it on the phone. That's never, that's not new. Um, but even just figuring out the meeting protocols and how people are feeling about that, I think is a, an interesting bonus question. Mm. Um, all right, feed me one, because I think that's what I got so far. What all right, I well, so now you expanded the, the denominator by adding the COVID question. So that, that increased your denominator to 12. Yeah, that's cool. And you've got that. one, two, three, four. You got nine out of 12, which is about a 75%, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, so you, 75 if you give me... is about a C. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a C plus because you have a good smile <laughs> and you live in New Hampshire. 
I don't. I live in Vermont, but whatever. Oh, whatever. Um, that's right. Whatever. Whatever. Um, yeah, all right, so okay, straight C plus. Um, you flunked the geography test. Let's see if I'm if I'm going to pass the test of. Would you of, like to honor or questions. give me another one, Tony? Would you like to honor or oh, yeah. someone who is in memory or yes. honor someone. Thank you. So again, this is this is sort of fundraising 101 is that sometimes people like the opportunity to use their gift to honor someone they love who may be alive, who may have passed away, um, or maybe even honor somebody who's in the organization. I've had donors say, you know, I want to do this, but I want to do it in honor of the staff because I see how hard the staff works and, and mm. you know, they oh, are the heart and soul of the organization. That's interesting. And so, yeah, I mean, I could honor my grandma, may she rest in peace, but I think I want to honor the employees because they're kicking butt. Um, so I have, um, I, I, I chaired a capital campaign several years ago, and we had the whole conversation about naming opportunities and how to price naming opportunities and all that. But one of the things we decided is if people wanted to do naming opportunities and have little plaques on the walls, they could name it after themselves. They can name it after a relative or a friend, but they could also name it after a value or um, a concept they they really loved. So we had people who use the naming opportunities to write things like justice and dignity for everyone. And instead of their name, we had a little plaque over, over the bookcase that they bought that said justice and dignity for everyone or lifelong learning or, you know, things like that. And so the naming opportunity was not just a name. Sometimes it was a value set or yeah. a concept. Um, and that made it more palatable for the folks who thought people with more money shouldn't get to put their names on stuff because that's inequitable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have some, I have some, um, feeling for that, right? I, I appreciate that point of view. I'm also a fairly practical fundraiser, but it was sort of nice that people were given the option of actually naming some value that was important to them. And um, so, yes, would you like to honor somebody or something? Something with your gift? or some, right, or some value. Or some value or <laughs> some idea or some concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a nice, a nice pivot on that particular question. It's time for Tony's Take Two, the podcast pleasantries. You know I'm grateful. I hope you know. You should know. You certainly better know. You better. I'm finger wag. You better know that I'm grateful that you listen to nonprofit radio week after week. Notice I don't say week after week after week. It's not a laborious chore. It's a pleasure, I hope. You're learning. I hope there's some entertainment value as well. I'm grateful. Whatever it is you get out of nonprofit radio, I'm glad. I'm grateful that you're with us. I'm glad it's helping you in your own career, helping your nonprofit. That's why I do the show. Pleasantries to you, our podcast listeners. Thank you for being with me. That is Tony's Take Two. Now, back to 12 new donor questions. And train like a champ. Andy and I have switched to a different device because my internet dropped out. That, that happens when you live at the beach. Sometimes it's windy or who knows. Uh, so sound is not going to be as good now because I'm on my phone instead of with my fancy Yeti mic, which only connects to my laptop. So Andy's sound will be the same. Mine is not as good, but... We persevere. Nonprofit radio perseveres. We've, we've had lights turned off. We've had, we've been at nonprofit technology conference and had booths <laughs> taken down, taken down around us. Well, yeah, yeah. Until 5.30 All on true. the last day when the union was going by with forklifts and taking down displays. It doesn't matter. We, we persevere. So the point we were at was, I was just saying that whether you want to do your gift in honor or memory flows very nicely into how would you as the donor like to be recognized? Yes. So there are people who like their names public and there are some people who prefer to be anonymous. Um, and so we this is an ongoing debate in the industry is do we publish donor names or not? And I'm in favor of, of publishing them. I think it's a good thing, but obviously you have to get people's permission. So I think the key question is, may we recognize you publicly or would you prefer to be anonymous? 
And, you know, this implies you have that, that tracking form or that pledge form that I was talking about. And you have that you can go through that with the donor and, and check that off. And then presumably you have a database and you can then honor that request by either recognizing them or making them anonymous. Indeed. Now, a key question we have forgotten, but now I'm remembering, is um, how do you want us to use this gift? Ah, uh, he gets another one. Yes. And, you know, the, the point here is that we want all the unrestricted dollars we can get. The best gift you can get from a donor is unrestricted, general operating, use it however you see fit. And there are certainly donors at times who want to restrict their gifts to specific programs or initiatives that you're doing. Certainly, this is true if you're doing capital fundraising campaign. Um, the tendency, I fear, is that the solicitor tends to pitch the restricted gift when it's not necessary to do so. And, you know, there are some folks who say, well, you know, most donors would rather know where their money is going. And, and my response is, I think a lot for a lot of solicitors, for a lot of askers, they feel more comfort in asking for a restricted gift. And that's about our needs as the as the asker, and it's not necessarily about the donor's needs. So we have to get better at framing our work and say, when you give us the whatever the amount is, you know, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, whatever, it supports the whole range of our programs. It supports everything we do in the community. It supports a healthy workplace for our employees. It supports the community members and family members we support. It helps us build long-term sustainability so we can do this work for years. So the best gift you can give us is the unrestricted gift that supports the whole spread of what we do. And I feel as, as askers, as solicitors, we have to get better at pitching that. I think that's about us. I don't think it's about the donor. Yeah. So that's one more question. Um, are there any other? No, there, no, there aren't. I'm not going to make you agonize over whether there are any more. No, you've named, you named all the ones that, uh, that I didn't. I done them all. And then you added one, the COVID question. So that gives you a that's 10 great. out of 12 or reduce that to five sixths. And I would say that's a solid B, a B. 10 out of 12, you got 10 out I'll of 12. I'll take a B today. I will take, oh. I'll take a B plus. Well, Thank you, you're Doc. getting a B, yeah, you're getting a B. So, all right. Um, so, I mean, I, I, wanna, I wanna wrap this part of the, con Tony, let me wrap the part of this conversation with a quick little summary here. Um, okay. And then we'll move to the second half. Um, the stress that we have as askers, I think, is around closing the gift, getting the yes. And I feel like there's a tendency to think if you get that yes, you're like, oh, my work is done. Right. And people sort of check out or they relax or they stop engaging. That's the beginning of the relationship. That's not the end. That's not the end point. That's not the victory. Um, the whole point is to then ask how do I keep this donor? How do I make this donor commit even more deeply? How do I find a way to serve them so that they'll want to give again? And so I feel like the yes is the beginning. It's not the end. And to me, that's sort of the summation of this whole thing. When we get that yes, where do we then go to strengthen and deepen the relationship? And, you know, there's a I can send this to people or we can find a way, but I mean, I would turn these into a checklist and I bring them with you. I think it's okay um, to have a clipboard in front of you when you're talking to a donor and take notes and you can ask permission to say, may I take notes while we're talking? So I remember stuff because I tend to forget stuff. And is that okay? And I think most people are cool with that, but you don't have to remember these 12 questions. You can bring a cheat sheet with you and you can, or you can treat it as a, as a form that you fill out when you're talking with the donor so that you can remember these things and get them into the database. So don't feel like you have to remember all this stuff. It's not your job. I think your job is to, to facilitate the conversation and carry the notes with you if you need them. Yes? Nice. Very sound. Oh, I agree. Uh, nobody has a problem with you taking some notes. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you wanna preserve this information and, and as you've said, can convey it back to your, uh, to your database, for sure. Yes. Good. And I like that part of the way you uh, ask, how can we be of service to you mm. is by asking for them, asking, not require, requiring, asking for them to be of service to the organization. Would you provide a testimonial? 
Would you come meet our board? Yeah. Would you help us with your fundraise with our fundraising? Yeah, yeah. So th- that that's that's that serves both parties. The the benefit to the to the organization, of course, is greater engagement. You know, now now the person isn't yes. just a donor or investor; they're a, they're a fundraiser yes. along with you, uh, potentially if they yes. if they agree to that yes. side by yes. side. But, yes. but it, they'll, they'll come to a board meeting. They'll be a VIP speaker at a board meeting potentially if they're willing to do that part. Yep. This is all engagement. This all this is all in service to both both the donor by getting them involved in a cause that they already love and service to the nonprofit as well. You know, there's a lot of data on the psychology of giving and why people give and what motivates donors to give and all of that. And one of the top reasons is people want to feel connected to something larger than themselves. Mm. They want to feel connected to causes or social change or programs that are meaningful to them, or maybe it reflects on their own experience um, you know, a need they had early in their life that the organization or a peer organization helped to take care of for them. And so we're giving them opportunities to more deeply connect with the community that's creating this change. Um, so it's an honor. I mean, we feel like, you know, we feel like asking people to give is a burden. I think that's totally backwards. Giving is an honor. It's a privilege to give. And I frankly think it's a privilege to ask. And, and then I think it's a privilege to be in relationship with the people who give so that you can then deepen that relationship and strengthen their work. So um, we have to be proud. We have to be proud fundraisers. We have to embrace the fact that this is necessary and beautiful and holy work and not treat it as a chore, but treat it as a chance to really improve our communities and deepen relationships and all of that. It's time for a break. Send in blue. It's an all-in-one digital marketing platform with tools to build end-to-end digital campaigns that look professional, are affordable, and keep you organized. They do digital campaign marketing. That's what we're talking about. Most marketing software for big companies, designed for them, has an enterprise-level price tag. SendinBlue is priced for nonprofits. You heard the CEO, Stefan, say this all last last week more articulately than than your lackluster host does. It's an easy-to-use marketing platform that walks you through the steps of building a campaign. You want to try out Send in Blue and get a free month? Go to the listener landing page at tony.ma slash sendinblue. We've got Buku, but loads more time for the second half of 12 New Donor Questions and Train Like a Champ. Okay. Um, I, I think that's the 12 questions. What else were we talking about today, Tony? Such a, such an unprepared guest I haven't seen in, in I can't, I can't name how I many. think we're it, talking it, about it, training. We're talking it, about, we're talking about it, training it, it, boards. It may be 551 shows that, since I've seen <laughs> it. This, this unprepared. We're talking what? about training. Yeah. We're talking about upping your game and training and facilitating. And let's not limit it to board training and facilitating. You might be, you might be training your Good. fellow, your fellow staff. Uh, maybe you're a uh, maybe you're a consultant who does yeah. training and you yes. like to up your game a bit in training facilitating. So, uh, or maybe it's maybe it's board work. So, the, the, one of your one of your articles that I wanted to start with is the one about uh, not overstuffing your agenda. I do feel like people try to pack too much into yeah. an hour yeah. or ninety minutes or a half a day or a full day. So, uh, do you have any idea what that article is about that you wrote? <laughs> I'm a volunteer today, friends. I'm here and I'm being abused by the host. Just for the record, I'm doing this as a volunteer. But, but even volunteers, we have expectations. But even volunteers, don't just walk in blind. I, I am, Where Tony, am I? I am crushing this. Let's acknowledge this. I'm doing great today. Anyway, to per your question, um, we have to start by thinking a little bit about how people learn. How people learn and what your goal is, yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of learning theories and I won't get too geeky with folks, but there's yeah. a learning theory yeah. that I, that I think is intuitive and people understand is that we all have different learning styles and there's an acronym V-A-R-K, VARK, that represents this. So V is visual, right? Some people learn stuff visually. They look at images, they look at video. I mean, that's their, that's their learning style. Um, some people are auditory, A, they like to talk, they like to listen. 
right? That's the way. And certainly people who tune into a podcast or a radio show like this are probably leaning toward auditory learning as their preferred learning method. We have, we have their R, which is the reading and writing. People who read stuff, people who write. There are a lot of folks, when I do a workshop, the folks are taking notes. And I say, do you ever look at the notes? And they say, eh, I don't often look at the notes, but the process of writing it down helps to land it in my brain so I remember it. So those are, those are, and the K is the kinesthetic. People who learn by physically doing things, by manipulating things, by handling stuff. So part of my challenge as a trainer, and I'll get to the overstuffed piece in a second here, is I want to create a learning experience that serves all those kinds of learners. And so if you are standing at the front of the room and you're showing slides to people and you're talking at them, and that's all you're doing as a trainer, you're missing half the room because that's not their learning style. That's not how they engage stuff. And so the hard work and the interesting work as a trainer, and I would say as a facilitator too, is to, is to design it in a way that it serves a variety of learning styles and learning needs. And when I see an overstuffed agenda, what that looks like to me is somebody has a whole lot of content that they feel like they have to share. And the way that they're going to teach people is by shoving all of this into their face as fast as they can. And the theory that if you give them more, they're going to absorb more. And I just don't think that works. So going back to what you said, A, you got to start with your goals. Like, what am I trying to accomplish in this particular training? What do I want people to master? Right. Now, okay. yeah. then once you've got that, then the question is, how do we design something that's accessible to a variety of learners? Before we continue, I have to uh, add a couple things. Uh, listeners are going to uh, admonish me if I don't uh, thank you for identifying a VARC, uh, because nonprofit radio, we have drug in jail. So if you hadn't methodically explained each element of VARC, yes. then it would have been a serious transgressor and you would have been uh, promptly escorted to uh, jargon jail. But free at last, it, free at it, last. Yes, Thank you God are. Almighty, I'm free at last. Yes, you are. Um, and I recently had a guest, uh, Lori, listeners remember Lori Krause, talking about public speaking. Mm. The, the research shows that people retain something like uh, a... a Something like a very small percentage. I don't know, two percent or ten percent. It's like yeah, I, I know this data. Yeah, they will. They yeah. retain ten percent of what you say, but they'll re retain ninety percent of what they do. What they do? There's the, there's your K. There's your kinesthetic. That's uh, the K, yeah. and but it's also the reading and the talking and the small groups. Okay. So let me make this simple for people. If I'm doing a half day training you know, like I'm doing a fundraising training or board development or whatever. It could be an hour. I mean, it doesn't really matter. But let's say I've got you for a morning. The way, the way I design this, and it's another shout out to our colleague, Andrea Kilstead, who she and I did a book together called Train Your Board and Everyone Else to Raise Money. And we spent a lot of time talking through this. Um, a, I'm going to give you some content. Now, the chunk of content I give you is not going to exceed 15 or 20 minutes. It's a short piece of here's some information you need. Having given you that content, I'm then going to launch an exercise or an activity where you work with that content. So maybe there's some small groups or maybe there's a writing exercise or maybe it's a role play. I mean, every fundraising trainer in the world has done role plays where people practice a pitch or practice listening or whatever, right? And then after the exercise is over, there's gonna be some time to debrief and, and think about it. Like, what did you just learn? What will you take away from that exercise? And for me, it's always that pattern. Here's some content. Now you're gonna work with the content. Now you're gonna reflect on what you learned and how you might use it. And if you had me as your trainer or facilitator for a half a day workshop, you would see this pattern repeated six or seven times in three hours. Mm. Um, I'm mm. going to give you some stuff. I'm not going to stand there and talk at you for 60 minutes. I'm not going to do that. Here's a chunk of info. Work with the info. What did you learn? And if you retain nothing else from this part of my conversation with Tony, this is what I want you to retain is, is that pattern repeats itself. And if you can vary up the, the design of the exercises, like, okay, here's a writing exercise. And the next one is a small group discussion. 
And the next one might be a sequencing exercise where you like I've done I've done a class where um, we do we organize a 12 week major gifts campaign, um, like how to do a speed major gifts campaign. And I will create like post-it notes or cards that you put up on the wall that say week one, week two, week three, week four. And then I create cards with a bunch of the activities like call donors, set up appointments, build a gift pyramid, all of those things. And I put them all out on the table and I have people try and sequence them and they're doing it in small groups. So what do we do in week one? What are we doing? So it's a classic VARK, V-A-R-K activity because there's the visual piece there's the auditory piece of talking with each other and figuring out where we sequence stuff. There's the reading and writing piece because you're reading them. I'll also give them some blank cards in case I've forgotten a step they want to add and I'll give them a marker so they can actually write additional steps. And then there's the kinesthetic piece of physically manipulating these cards and putting them on a calendar. Um, so that might be, you know, 20 minutes in breakout to do that exercise. And then we come back and I say like, what did you learn? Yeah. And you know, and what tends to happen in that particular exercise is everybody wants to front load everything. And so weeks one and two are look like this. My hand is like wide on the wall. And when you get to week 12, there's nothing. It's like, okay, maybe you need to spread this out so you don't kill yourself at the beginning of the campaign and think about a way to sequence it that's more humane. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I say the word trainer and that's intimidating to people because like I'm not a trainer. It's not what I do. And there's a tendency to want to hire people like me to come and do it, which is great. You know, I appreciate the work, but I feel like the basic skill set anybody can learn. You don't have to have a lot of formal training to be an effective teacher. Um, more training <laughs> helps, more practice helps. But if you sort of master the basics and you do some of the stuff we're talking about, um, you'll be good enough. Yeah, to, to let's make. talk about uh, let's talk about chunking out your time. Yes, and, and how much of that chunking out to share with the participants versus just keeping it to yourself. Okay, it's a nice, sophisticated question, and I'll give you a two-part answer. Part one is uh, that I woo. tend to underestimate the amount of time it takes to do whatever I'm doing. This is true in consulting. This is true in cleaning my house. Um, this is just true in training or cutting the grass or whatever, right? It always takes longer than I think. So my skill set in that area needs improvement even at this advanced age. Um, having said that, I have done both timed agendas and untimed agendas. And what I tend to do if it's new content and it, I'm figuring it out is I'll do a trainer agenda, which is just for me, where I'll show what the times are. But that's not the agenda I necessarily share with the group because I don't want them looking at the clock and going, oh, my God, we're late. He's running behind. Right. So, you know, for, for many of the public events I do, I give out an untimed agenda. I will show times for the breaks and I'll show times for the start and end, but I won't time out each section of the agenda. Um, having said that, I'm chairing a board now. And when I do board meetings, I definitely have a timed agenda. And I have a very ornate agenda and I'll just do this from memory and, you know, people can use this or not. This is a seven column agenda. The first column is time, like when something is going to start. Um, the second column is topic. What are we going to talk about? Um, the third column is who is going to lead that. And it ain't always me. So I'm trying to find other people to share leading portions of the agenda. The fourth column, my favorite column, is the decision we need to make around this particular item. And I have a bias here. And my bias is if you put together an entire agenda for a meeting and there's no decisions that you're making and it's just reporting, you should think real hard about canceling the meeting because there's so many other ways to share information now. We don't have to physically gather people just to do reports. Okay. Um, column number five is follow-up needed and you don't always know that in advance you well, might have to figure that uh, out at the meeting the ground columns this column six is follow-up needed no for number four is decision uh, uh, four, five four okay. is decision five okay. is five i'm doing this from memory tony you should be very impressed with me um uh, four is decision five is the follow-up needed column follow number six is who's gonna do that follow-up and column number seven, and what's the deadline? By when is that follow-up going to occur? 
So what the way this works is you fill out some of it in advance, but some of it you don't know until the meeting when you start figuring out like, okay, what's our follow-up? Who's going to do it? And so you actually use the agenda to build a work plan coming out of the meeting of mm. who's going to do stuff. And it, it sort of creates the guts of the next meeting agenda, which is then about, did we follow up? What was the outcome? What subsequent steps do we have to take? Who is going to do those steps? So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily use that in a training. That's more of a meeting agenda where we're trying to get stuff done. And, you know. So let me ask you about your, your, your meeting agendas. You as a board chair. Yes. You're, you're saying you do share the timed agenda with everyone. I do. So everybody knows how much time is allocated to each subject. In yes. other words, maybe each row on the spreadsheet. Yes. Okay. Everyone knows that. Okay. Yeah, and I put that out in advance. I'll send that out a couple of days before the meeting. I mean, I got a board meeting next Tuesday. I just this is this is too granular, but I just sent a notice to all the board members saying, "Here's my here's like the four or five things I want to talk about. What am I forgetting? Are there board items that you want to add to the agenda?" And you know, at least one person has written back and said, "Yeah, I've got more stuff for the agenda." So and this can apply to any any meeting agenda. Hell yeah, it could be a board I've meeting, been, could be a staff been, meeting, could be yeah. campaign committee. I've been in meetings where there was a timer appointed and the, the timer was not the, the chair or the, the leader of the discussion that it, it's someone else yeah. so that so that he or she leading the discussion can stay on topic and make sure that we're, we're moving each topic. But it's the timer's job to say, we only have three minutes left on this 10 minute agenda item. And, and so it relieves the, the chair of the burden of watching a, watching a clock. There's actually a timer. Let me give you a pro tip. I love this suggestion. I totally support the suggestion. And my pro tip is if you have somebody in the meeting, a board member, staff member, whomever it is, that likes to talk too much and dominates, ask them to be the timer. Because they're going to be spending more time looking at the clock and trying to keep other people moving (laughs) rather than pontificating. Um, and taking up all the airwaves. I'm occupied so, with something else. Keep them bingo. occupied. Bingo. It's, it's, def- it's a deflection strategy. Oh, that's um, a good Yeah, that's, a good <laughs> that's my fave. Um, so I bet you have uh, other training questions you brought today since you're better prepared than I am. Well, I feel like we covered a lot. Um, yeah. All right. Let's just, let's, let's wrap up with managing time is your job. I think that's, that's critical. Managing time, it's, it's subsumed in what we've been saying, but I want you to make yeah. it explicit. Okay. You, have a, you have an obligation, you have a responsibility to your, your audience, your meeting attendees. Flesh that out. Thank you. Um, it's very interesting, Tony, that, that all the questions you've asked about training have, have focused on, on time, um, about not overstuffing, about do you put times on agendas, and it's your job to manage time. So this is where you are, and that's interesting to me. Um, so... Okay, the, the work, the work for me as a trainer, when okay, I get in the room, when I get in the room, I'm like doing it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish. Okay, yeah, we're out of time. That's it. I'm the timer and uh, we're out of time. No, Bye. <laughs> no I'm kidding. Don't leave. Um, okay. So I guess I'm pontificating. There I go. Breaking my own rule. So regarding you being the boss of the time. For me, the work for as a trainer is the design. It's figuring stuff out in advance and being prepped so when I go in the room, I don't have to think about it too much. I can just do the work. And I am doing two things. I'm paying attention to the content, and I'm also paying attention to how much time things are taking. And you have to have a, the split brain to be able to do that because what I'll do in real time is I'll speed stuff up or I'll slow things down based on how we're doing against the clock. And sometimes you just have to toss stuff from your agenda because you don't have time to do it or something more important is happening. And I've had, I've had trainings where I've done where we've gotten into really interesting deep water that's not on the agenda and I don't want to cut it off because it feels productive to me. So there's an, in, an intuitive piece to this, which is doing your prep, having your agenda timed out, all that, but then showing up in the room and being present and seeing what's going on. And so part of managing the time is reading the room and understanding how much energy there is around a topic. Sometimes I'll toss stuff because it just doesn't feel like there's any energy to, to embrace it. And, you know, I'll go where the energy of the group is. 
So to me, that's one answer to your question is to prepare rigorously, but be prepared to throw out what you have prepared if the group is taking you in a different direction and the time is not lining up with what you expected. And not only to throw things out, but I want to amplify something you said, to spend more time on something or maybe accelerate your time, not throw something out, but accelerate your time. And that's where, you know, this becomes an art. When on the fly, yeah. you can read, I mean, I do stand-up comedy and you, you got you to gotta read the room. If, if, if certain jokes are working, then you, you do more of them. And if another topic isn't, you, you, you move off it. But it's the, same as, it's the same in a webinar or a facilitation or a, a, a face-to-face meeting. The ability to move on the fly intuitive, intuitively based on the clock yeah and and the uh, the energy in the room yes you know you gotta be gotta be watching both and that's where it's sort of one is quantitative the clock there's there's no beating time <laughs> the other is how are people reacting to the material and where where's their focus so. yeah and the other part i would say and as a stand-up comedian you understand this the other part is you don't want to drive a particular agenda item so far that the energy goes out from it you want to get out where there's still some energy left and sometimes i've i've, I've co-trained with people who wanted to milk a discussion until it completely died yeah. and then move to the next thing and you got to get out of a con a piece of content before all the energy is out and, you know, I mean, again, I think if you if you're riffing on a joke, you have to learn how to get out before you've killed the joke. And um, so I would say yes. And I mean, the, the, I, I, that's what I love about training is being in the room and getting that energy back from the group. It's been interesting doing this on Zoom. Right. And trying to figure out how to how to transition that energy of the group into a room into something that works remotely. Um, but yes, your job is to both pay attention and be intuitive and serve the group and also manage the clock simultaneously. We're going to leave it there. He's Andy Robinson. AndyRobinsonOnline.com. Andy, thank you very much. Real pleasure. Tony, thank you. Tony it was fun. I'm, I'm glad we mastered the technology and I look forward to being in touch with you in the future. And I hope folks will reach out if I can be of service to them. Bye, everybody. They certainly should be. Next week, more coverage of 21NTC, I think. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission, turn-2.co. And by Sending Blue, the only all-in-one digital marketing platform empowering nonprofits to grow. Tony.ma slash SendInBlue. And we did indeed overcome the technology triumph, uh, triumphed over the technology challenges today. Thanks for hanging in there with us. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out. And be great. <laughs>